Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we are wrapping up our walk through the prodigal son, the story of really the prodigal sons, or perhaps you could call it the generously forgiving father. There's all sorts of ways you could think of this story. Historically, it's been called the prodigal son. Um, And it's a powerful story, and we've been walking with this story, I think, for four or five weeks now. We're going to finish up our look at this parable, that master storyteller that Jesus told told us. And I just want to read to you again, so we can find our way and we can get our bearings, because I'm sure things are on your mind and heart, and maybe you need to be refreshed of this story. We've been looking at Luke chapter 15, and today we will pick up at verse 17. But when the younger son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am... Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, My son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. powerful story, and today we are going to consider the elder brother. We spent a lot of time looking at the younger brother, and you know, younger brothers need a lot of time to be looked at. The babies of the family, they just kind of bring that upon themselves. If you are a baby of the family, I apologize for any derision you might hear in my voice. But being an elder brother, 
It's just one of those natural um, rivalries that exist in the world. And my kid brother, he makes a good Forrest Gump. Things just work out for Lee. He could squander all the family's wealth and our good name, and yes, he would be accepted back. Me, on the other hand, I have to do everything correct. I have to be the compliant firstborn. If you're an older sibling, you know. You know the pressures on you. You know the difficulties on you. You know that your parents have been experimenting on you since you arrived. You know that when you showed up, they had no clue. They'd read a book or two. Perhaps they talked to grandma or grandpa. But they didn't know. They can't be completely blamed for how you turned out. And this rivalry between brothers, sisters, siblings is ancient. In fact, it didn't end so well with the first two brothers. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, it ended in murder, bloodshed. Thankfully, it doesn't always go that bad. But many times, lots of times, siblings find it difficult to get along. In this story, Jesus is addressing a group of mutterers, grumblers, religious people. Before you think, yeah, those bad religious people, let us drop our guard. Let us humble ourselves and consider perhaps Jesus' words are for us. He speaks to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have asked a question. Why do you hang out with pimps and prostitutes? Why are you eating with them? You are in relationship with these folks. You're not just being nice as you pass them on the street. You are actually dining with them. They are irritated with him. And then Jesus tells three stories. The first is of, is of a lost sheep. Now the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. And the second is of a lost coin and how a little old lady turns her home upside down and cleans every nook and cranny to find that coin. And the third is of the lost son. But really, it's of two lost sons. You see, in this story, Jesus is redefining lostness. You may not see it. You may not recognize it. And that is the difficulty with elder brother lostness, is it's hard to see, if not nearly impossible. It's like a fish realizing it's in water. They just don't know. And elder brother lostness is like that. It is a dangerous lostness. In fact, it is so dangerous. Jesus has more to say about elder brother lostness than he does younger brother lostness. Now, how do we define these in our day and age? And we'll spend quite a bit of time on elder brothers today. But if you are surprised you're here, if you're surprised you're at church on a Sunday morning, you're a younger brother. If, however, you look around and you're surprised that they're here, 
you're an elder brother. If you look around and go, oh my, they're here? You are an elder brother. And that is who the parable from the get-go is given for. It is given for the benefit of the elder brothers, for the Pharisees, for the religious leaders. That is who Jesus had in mind as he structured this story. And we must remember that it is a story he structured. There is no history behind it. It is a fiction. And Jesus put it together the way he wanted to put it together to make the point he wanted to make. And one of the points he wanted to make is the elder brother is left out in the cold. I've had some say, well, we don't really know what happened. You know, that's where Jesus just ended the story. Well, no, he ended the story. There's no people behind the story. It's a fiction. Jesus told it the way he wanted it to end. And the way it ends is the younger brother, the bad boy, is in. And the elder brother, the good moral boy, is out. These are difficult words for us. Today, I won't feel so much as a pastor as I will a prophet, and I pray you will understand the difference between the two, and you will choose to keep me employed come tomorrow. (laughs) This is a prophetic text for us. I don't mean it tells the future. I mean it in the best sense of prophecy, that it tells us what is wrong with us, and it tells us how to fix what is wrong with us. In the story, you see that this elder brother is upset with the younger brother. Did you hear his language? Did you hear his language as he addressed his father? I have yet to address my father with the tone of voice this young man did. Look. Look, all day long I've been here working for you. I've been slaving away. Not once have you given me a goat. But when the, this son of yours, do you hear the distancing language? Do you hear the destructive tone? Do you hear how he is pompous, superior, better than? Do you hear his, oh, good Lord tone? Can't believe he's back. What nerve this boy has to return. Penniless. With an STD. Health issues. Run down. And he expects to show up here and be accepted into the family. You know the story. The older brother does not know the story. The younger brother expected to come back and to be made a hired man. He did not expect, nor even conceive of the fact that his father would bring him back in. The older brother is upset. Now, why? Why does he react this way? And why do we, us older brothers, those of us that are, why do we react this way? What is going on in the older brother's heart? Well, part of it is he's angry at the father's generosity. 
the fatted calf. Meat was a delicacy back then, unlike today. They had to slaughter the fatted calf for a meal. It wasn't laying in the fridge. They couldn't run down to supers. Didn't have freezers. This is perhaps the greatest feast that the father has ever put on in his life. Do you think about it that way? This is not some casual meal. This is not some casual moment. This is a feast for the neighborhood, for the community, for the entire village to come out and to feast together on the fatted calf, the delicacy of beef. This is not a regular occurrence. This is like what we do with weddings today. Weddings where we put on the dog for family, friends, neighborhood, the community. Because we say this is something to be celebrated. And we hold a great banquet, a great feast. And we invite everyone we can think of unless the space won't allow it. This man holds this great feast. Perhaps the greatest he's ever held. Why? Because his son who hangs out with pimps and prostitutes is home. That's why. As an elder brother, I can understand some of this anger from this elder brother. The nerve of this kid. And dad, come on. You look like a fool. Do you really want to be the laughing stock of Ray? You really want to just welcome him back in? No penance, no groveling, no you know, show, no letter to the editor of, hey, just FYI, a year from now, we'll let the kid back in. But right now, there's some penance for him to pay. Some face to save, Dad, isn't there? He is angry because of his father's generosity. Sometimes as Christians, we experience this with perhaps a deathbed conversion where we think, really, they get off the hook, all that bad stuff they did, and they still get to go to glory just like me? Really, everything that they did, and it's just wiped clean? And I've been working, striving, going to church, even on Sundays when the Broncos played early? That didn't count for anything? There's this undercurrent of anger in the older brother. And that is one way to recognize if you are an older brother. Is if there is this undercurrent of anger in your life towards God. If you are angry with God because you feel, well, look at what I have done for you, God. You're completely on the hook to take care of me, God. I've been praying. I've been working. I've been showing up. I've been reading my Bible. I've been hanging out with the right types of people. But look at my neighbor. They don't go to church. They don't pray. They don't seem to even care one iota about you, but you seem to constantly bless them. And if you think coming here on a Sunday where the Broncos play at 11. Did I mention that? If you think coming here and checking off a mark on some list, if you think 
getting up early and reading your Bible and praying, if you think those acts of devotion are somehow placing God in your debt, you're a fool. It's not how he works. He's the gracious father. You have no place to be angry. Your anger is misguided. Your expectations on God the Father are stupid and vain. You see, at the heart of that anger is you do not want the Father. You want His things. You want what He can give you, what He can do for you, what He can provide you. Peace, comfort, safety, security, help, healing, money. Many of us, that's what we want from God. We do not want God. Have you ever stopped and think, what's it going to be like when you get to be with him 24-7 and what you wanted was his stuff and not him? Heaven's going to be miserable for a lot of people. And perhaps it could be called hell for those who don't want him but find themselves in his presence all the time. The elder brother is always in the father's presence. He's always there. He's always dutiful. He even says, I've been slaving for you. Do you hear the duty without the beauty from the older brother? You know, children don't quite get why we tell them to do the things we do. We had this discussion at dinner last night. There's some eye rolling. I just roll them right back at them. (laughs) Why, Dad, do you always have to make everything a teachable moment? Why, Mom, do you always have to get on our case about... And then, of course, that led to another teachable moment about teachable moments. (laughs) More eye rolling and more rolling them back. They don't get it. They don't appreciate it. They know everything. I understand that. I knew everything when I was 13 and 16 and 17. I understand that. But then I grew up and I realized I was stupid and naive and foolish and ignorant. And they will too. I'm just trying to spare them some of that. But alas, my best tries fall short. And they think that to obey me and to do what I ask is just a duty. They don't see the beauty in it. They don't see the beauty in living your life in a means that is the best way to live. They don't see the beauty in choosing to be in relationship with me. Maybe no people understand the beauty of relationship with me. (laughs) Can't fault them, I guess. But you see, many of us, that's how we treat our relationship with God. We treat it as duty. And it never moves into this, this thing of beauty. I think if, if your marriage, for those of you who are married, those of you who aren't, imagine with me, if, if your marriage was such that you just always did it out of duty, 
Every Monday was flower day because it was just the duty. Every Tuesday was call them from work day because that was the duty for the day. Every Wednesday was pick them up and take them to lunch because that's just what focus on the family told you to do. Every Friday was scheduled date night and you went and you sat and you, you didn't want to be there, but you did the duty. You went through the motion. Some of you are in marriages like this. And the duty, though there are things that need to be done in marriage, in parenting, in your work, hopefully it moves to beauty. Hopefully, it moves to where you experience the beauty of the duty. Where you understand that what I'm doing is bringing me closer to God. And I get to behold and be in the beauty of the Father. It's like a story I heard of a man who, trying to get good grades in college, decided to take in a music appreciation class because it was an easy A. And part of the music appreciation class was you had to sit and listen to Mozart. So he sat and he listened to Mozart because you had to be able to differentiate Mozart from Haydn. And that's kind of difficult for people who don't know. So he sat and he listened to to Mozart. He did the duty. Now that man is in his midlife and he enjoys listening to Mozart. When he was a young man, it was a duty. It was a way to get an easy A. But now he would like to put on Mozart and listen to Mozart. He's discovered the beauty. He's moved from a duty to a desire. For some of us, praying, reading our Bibles, coming to church, serving, is in that vein of duty. And we don't understand that We should do this because it allows us to experience God, not to place God in our debt. This is another way to tell if you're an older brother. Is it for duty or for beauty? One of the most telling signs of whether you're an elder brother is if you think of yourself as superior. These words will hurt. Good. They're meant to. If you think of yourself as religiously or culturally or in some way class superior to others, you are an elder brother. Think of the language of the elder brother. This son of yours, the distance, the disdain, the hatred, the enmity. You see, Jesus is telling this parable for whose benefit? Who is in his target? Who is in his sights in this parable? Who has Jesus designed this story for? If you remember at the beginning, he is talking to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. What do we know of the Pharisees and the religious leaders? 
we know that these are the people that will kill him. We know that Jesus knows that these are the people who will kill him. And look what he does. Look how he addresses them. In the Greek, where you read where he says, my son. The word there is a, is a beautiful familial term. It really means my, my child. It's a term of endearment. And this is the term, this is the tone that Jesus uses in addressing the Pharisees. Oh, my dear children, my child. Could you imagine having the wherewithal, the ability to address those who would kill you with that tone? My child. And Jesus does that. His enemies. Those who wish him dead. And eventually will see their wishes come true. Who will bring it about. And if anyone has the right to see themselves as superior. The son of God. Seriously? The son of God, wouldn't he? If anyone has the right to see himself as I am better than you all, wouldn't it be the Son of God? Wouldn't it be the God of the universe? Wouldn't it be the one who created everything? Wouldn't it be the one that decided that one day he was sick of the violence and the hatred and the enmity that he saw amongst humanity, that he sent a flood to kill us all? Isn't that a superior being? Isn't that someone who could look down his nose, though he has none? He's the God of spirit. Isn't he a being that could look at you with disdain and with enmity and with hatred and with disgust and with superiority and say, you have no right to breathe the air I have made? there's anyone in this story who has any means, any basis for any superiority, it is Christ. And what does he do? My children. And in response, what do they say? Look, this son of yours. You know, at the heart of this message is a message about how we must view others. Because Jesus viewed others. You see, there is no good people and lost people. There is only lost people. When Jesus came here, everyone he walked up to and interacted with and saw was lost, regardless of how good they were. Every one of them. Jesus is redefining lostness. He is saying, you can be a bad boy and be lost. You can also be a good boy or girl and be lost. And the reason of their lostness is not despite their goodness. It is because of their goodness that they are lost. Do you hear that in the elder brother? I have served you. I have done everything you've asked. 
I followed the Ten Commandments. I have prayed. I was at church. I was doing the work of the church. I gave faithfully. I was there. Do you hear the anger? Do you hear the duty? Do you hear the superiority in the elder brother's voice? But do you see the radical vulnerability of Jesus Christ? Spoken to his enemies. Spoken to those who will kill him. Spoken to those who are lost. The father is pleading with his older son. He goes out from the biggest party he's ever throne and he leaves it to go talk to his elder brother he is still chasing after lost things and he goes to this elder brother do you see the vulnerability of jesus that there is no good people there is only lost people and these lost people want him killed They do not want the Father. They want what the Father can give them. Do you see what the cross says to you and to me? You are so messed up. You are so lost. You are so hopeless. Nothing less than the death of the Son of God can save you. And at the same time, do you hear what he says from the cross? I'm glad to do it. Do you see the vulnerability of Christ? Do you understand that this is what should motivate our Christianity? That this is the gospel? That you, if you are angry or duty-bound or think of yourself as superior to anyone in this world, you are not a believer in the gospel. You are not a follower of Christ. You are of your father, the devil. And Jesus has said that to people who hung out with him an awful lot. Peter. If we see any race, any nation, any religion, any refugee, as less than us, God help us. We are elder brothers. It has been a difficult week in our country. There's been much discussion about what to do with people who have nowhere to go. You understand this, don't you? Don't you? If I was a father and my children were sleeping out in the elements on the border of Turkey and I could not cross the border and every day and every night I did not know where the food would come from and I did not know if we would live another day, what would I hope somebody would do for me? Pass some law? Be afraid of me? Because I might hurt them. 
hurt something they love? Jesus addressed those who would hurt him. I don't know if you remember what they did to him. They spit in his face. They tore his beard out. They whipped him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. And they crucified him. And his whole time on earth, he knew this would be why he's here. His whole time on earth, he knew that this is what the lost people, the good lost people wanted to do with him. And Jesus Christ was willing to leave his homeland and to become a refugee here. He was willing to step out of glory and come to the garbage heap of earth. He was willing to leave behind the glory and the robe and the ring and the scepter and the crown and come here and exchange it for nowhere to sleep. For a crown of thorns, for a beating, for nails. He was willing to do that for you and for me. The one who could be superior to all, because he is superior to all, chose and commanded to be a servant of all. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Jesus has given us the means by which we can be great. It is to serve others. Do you want to know the best way to demonstrate love for others? It's that you would lay down your life for others. This is the path of Jesus. And he also went on and he said, narrow is the gate to this path. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. I do not expect many evangelical Christians in our nation to get this. I do not expect many people to actually follow Jesus in these things. And I expect us to have conversations and nuance and to wrestle, but at the heart of it, it should be servanthood and love of neighbor. And beyond that, love of enemies. Last I checked, that was a command from Jesus. And of course, we would do that poorly because we struggle to love each other here. Why on earth would we be able to love somebody who's different than us if we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ here? So let me change my tone a bit. My children, I plead with you. Love one another as God has loved us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do any of you expect to be greater than your master? Who is your master? Do you understand the gospel? And it's claim on your life, on your possessions, on your being, on you. 
Do you get it? Do you understand? I want to be at the very front of the line that prays for my security and my safety and my comfort. I want to be at the very front of the line that prays for my children to be comfortable and well-fed and happy. I want to be at the very front of the line where I can say I had a really comfortable middle-class life. And sometimes I aspire even to upper-class life. And then Jesus comes in and with a gentle two-by-four to the head says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he challenges me in my middle-classness. Do I believe that the poor are blessed? Do I believe that the poor in spirit are blessed? Or do I believe that the middle class are blessed? And what this country needs more of is more middle-classness. Elder brothers, know that it is difficult to see our lostness. If you are knee-jerking, if you are reacting, if you are irritated, if you are mad, if you are threatening to never come back next week, then you got smacked in the face and you needed it. Because that was the effect of Jesus parable to the Pharisees. Younger sons love this story. Elder brothers hate this story. Which are you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made us rich. Thank you that you have blessed us. Thank you that we have never laid eyes on anyone that is lower than us. Thank you that you love everyone so much that you left heaven, came to earth, died in our place. Forgive us when we, instead of saying, thy kingdom come, say, my kingdom Forgive us when we are all about building our homes. Forgive us when we do not seek first the kingdom of heaven. Forgive us when we think that this is about 70 or 80 years here as opposed to eternity somewhere. Father, speak to us. Speak to your children like you have always done. May we have ears to hear as Jesus so regularly said. I pray for us elder brothers that we would drop the superiority. We would wrestle through the anger. We would see the beauty of you. And we would crave it. That it would make everything else in our lives pale in comparison. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Love 
as your Father has loved you. Amen.